Hello, I'm Scott Sachnik. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and you're listening to the Sportacast. That's it? No creative? Nothing? Like you were doing so well. Like just back to the old you're listening to the Sportacast? Kept it kept kept it simple today. Simple and clean this time. All right, all right. But big news yesterday, Evan, in the world of sports executives. Uh, our friend Scott O'Neill was on the program not too long ago. Is he best-selling author yet? Do we introduce him? I haven't checked the New York Times bestsellers list. But "Be Where Your Feet Are" was the name of his book. It's sort of like "Be Present." Well, it, to to kind of marry two thoughts, like "Be Where Your Feet Are" and. These boots were made for walking. (laughs) Scott O'Neill says he is departing as chief executive officer of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. Of course, the big two holdings that folks think of first would be the 76ers and the Devils. Uh, I can tell you that the reaction was uh, one of great surprise. Um, People were reaching out to me like, holy, holy God, wait, wait, what's Scott doing? Where's he going? Um, But not a surprise that they're surprised. Uh, There was no indication of it. But eight years he's been there. Big, big guy. I guess if we want to do it in sports parlance, big free agent out there. Yeah, for sure. And 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 we've talked a lot about how sports ownership has changed in the last four or five years. Scott O'Neill was at the forefront of this exact transition. He was a played a principal part in it. When he started at the 76ers back in 2013, it was a single entity team. Josh Harris and David Blitzer very shortly afterwards closed on the Devils, the Prudential Center. Very quickly, the Sixers grew into Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment that contained those assets, an innovation lab, a real estate company, venture investing. There's some esports assets in there as well. There's a few other uh, stadiums. There's a lot in there, Scott, that that a lot of other sports are trying to replicate. And Harris Blitzer is it was and, and continues to be on the forefront of this idea of building much bigger ecosystems around a few popular professional teams. Yeah, and again, I feel like I, I have to keep saying it, though, like full disclosure, like I consider Scott a friend and and we talk quite often um, about a lot of different things, not necessarily just sports business. Um, but you have to credit him with building HBSC. I mean, the value of these teams, the value of the enterprise, they've got you know an investment arm, they, they've got esports, they, they've got sort of the part of Elevate, the part ownership there. That it went from, as you said, sort of a, a mom and pop to now they are kind of the global dominance inc or global dynamics inc, whatever the right one is for anybody who listens to the show before. But it was considered sort of a a one team thing, and now it's this huge sports and entertainment platform. You've got the Grammy Museum at Prudential Center. Um, I, I believe they host the award shows here too. So the arena is flourishing. Um, the teams in value, at least, you know, the Sixers were number one in the East. Devils not so great on the ice, but a promising future with a young team, uh, but on a revenue side, and that's where we look, you know, for what we do on the revenue side uh, and valuation side. Certainly, the value of HBSE should Harris and Blitzer ever decide to say, you know what, we're enough of this sports and entertainment. We're looking to do something else. There would be no shortage of a very wealthy folks saying, "I'll take that off your hands." No question. 2013, the 76ers were valued around $400 million. In our most recent Sportico numbers, that's $2.5 billion now. So that's a, that's an 8x return in about eight years. Not a bad growth. And, and I don't know have the devil's numbers in front of me. I imagine the valuation of the devils has also increased significantly since, since Harris and Blitzer bought them. Uh, Scott, 
Scott O'Neill was a, an equity holder in, in Harris Blitzer Entertainment. Uh, it sounds like from your reporting, he has reached an agreement to sell those shares back, correct? He, he will not be holding on to correct. That, yeah. that ownership as he moves forward. Another one for you, uh, Harris Blitzer partnered with the 49ers a few years ago to launch Elevate Sports Partners. It's a consulting firm. They do a lot of work around professional college sports and inter- entertainment as well. What is Scott O'Neill's role going to be with Elevate now that he's leaving HBSE? Now you're making me, you know, think back to what we reported, right? He, he's he's leaving the board, but he's going to hold on to his stake in the venture, correct? Yes, is that I what believe, we that, I believe that is, is correct, uh, which I would understand. We, we don't know what Scott O'Neill is going to do next, but I could certainly see a situation in, you know, wherever he lands, if it is still in the sports entertainment world, that there could be some conflicts if he was also sitting on the Elevate board. Um, so, I, so I understand the, 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 the distancing there as well. You, you let me know if this is the same for you, but when we talk about Scotty, there, there's two things that come to mind, like two words that'll come to mind. One is deal maker. Okay. Like Scott does big deals. Um, he was uh, integral in, I think, the Chase deal when he was at MSG, and before that, he was at Teambo at the NBA. Uh, and I think culture. Culture. Did you, did funny, you know? Yeah. All right, all right, you knew I was going to go there, right? I had it written yeah. down as well. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, that's all part of the book in diversity. Uh, he, he's been a champion of, of female executive in sports. Uh, certainly ha- has put together diverse staff, but Scott's about culture. He he really is. I love the, the story he tells his employees, and he's as the CEO. Like if he's walking down the hallway in Prudential Center and there's a scrap of paper on the ground, Scott tells his folks, "Bend down and pick it up. Doesn't matter if you're the CEO or anybody on down. Bend down and pick up the trash." That's the kind of culture he, he does preach to the family and that, that whole book of be where, be where your feet are um, really sort of signifies what he's all about. Yeah. And for folks who are curious to, to hear more of, of Scott O'Neill's thoughts on that, we did, as you said, Scott, we had Scott on the show about a month ago at this point. Uh, he talked at length about the way in which he thinks about culture building and about leadership and the, and, and the ways that flows into the first thing you said, which is deal making and, and, and getting the big revenue ticker items done. So, so for folks who are curious there, uh, should check that out. Scott, the big question now on the minds of a lot of people in sports, what is Scott O'Neill going to do next? Uh, you're close with him. Anything you can say about what you think uh, reading tea leaves might be, might be on tap for him next? Unfortunately, I don't read tea leaves uh, you know, in conversations with Scott. I have an inkling of where he's looking, of what, uh, what the itch is, and you know, some timetable. He'll be in demand. He'll be an in-demand sports executive. Uh, he's not one to sort of sit on the sidelines and sit by the pool. Maybe he can do that for maybe a week, and then he'll be itching to do something else. So um, I, this will not be the last we hear of Scott O'Neill. But tell me more about Jerry Jones and his esports team, because that was the best segue I could come, I could come up with at the time. But uh, speaking of making money, though, and growing platforms and growing businesses, Jerry Jones is selling his esports team for a number that I think will surprise some. Yeah. So Jerry Jones in 2017 invested in a company called Complexity, an esports org. Uh, Over the past four years, it has grown. It moved into headquarters in Frisco, Texas, inside the the training complex, the the glitzy training complex that the Cowboys built. Uh, They rebranded themselves. Their logo includes the Dallas Cowboys star. Uh, And just today or on Thursday, um, the the, the esports org was sold uh, to a public company uh, uh, called GameSquare. 
$27 million is the valuation uh, of, of the team, but Jerry is not getting out. And I think this is especially interesting. Jerry is, is, is investing even more into gaming. So the complexity owners, which he is the main part of are going to own about 47% of, of, of the stock in this new bigger company game square and Jerry and, and his partner, John Goff are also leading a private placement round to increase their role in the company. So the headline here, Jerry Jones sold, sold the esports company for, for $27 million, but he is not leaving the space. In fact, the opposite, he is investing more money in it. All right. Two things come to mind. My initial knee jerks are one, that's, that seems like a lot of money Two, again, if you're not familiar with Frisco and the star and the complex and have teams utilize their brand to create other projects like real estate and retail, go take a look at what's being done in Frisco, Texas and the star. Uh, and also by the way, I got to say it, but I'm not going to lie here. I did not know that Jerry was so into esports. And in my mind, I have my picture of the younger generation of owners that would be leading the way, you know, those guys at the forefront of esports. And I didn't have Jerry on my bingo card as the guy who would have been in early and seen it. But I'm sure you probably knew that. Um, But does that surprise you that Jerry saw esports before some others? It's interesting for sure. And, and and you're right. He was, it's kind of commonplace now, but he was among the first traditional sports owners to, to really put a big stake in the ground in esports. And, and he has not done the mega, mega investments that we've seen from other groups. Complexity does not have a permanent franchise slot in Overwatch, the ones that cost 20 or $30 million or Call of Duty League or in, in League of Legends. But it is a, a fairly valuable, I mean, you're looking at the valuation there, $27 million is a fairly valuable organization. I think Jerry understood that you know a lot again it's, it's it's the same conversation we seem to be having a lot but if you have an asset like the cowboys that is tremendously tremendously lucrative and tremendously popular and you are doing things like he's doing in texas which is a big real estate play for both residential for housing for retail there's synergies you can have there and one of those synergies he found was in entertainment and gaming so he moved the team there we had jason lake uh on our previous podcast who talked a lot about the way in which his team was able to utilize sales, marketing, et cetera, from the Cowboys uh, to help grow their brand. That'll continue, obviously, uh, under this new setup because Jerry is is now a, a pretty hefty uh, equity owner in the new company. Uh, but no question, Jerry realized fairly early on that there was some growth here, maybe not the growth that a lot of people thought if we were having this conversation in 2018 or 2017. Um, but the fact that Jerry Jones, one of the, one of the wealthiest and more successful sports investors out there right now is willing to double down to, to put more money into this space, I think signifies that, that there's some growth to be had here. All right. Well, it's really nothing more than the sports and entertainment world. And Jerry is not the only one dumping money into the sports and entertainment world. Uh, some big news over the last six months. And maybe if you did it one at a time, you would have realized that Aries management was making big plays in sports and entertainment. And it should not be a surprise because the two co-founders, Tony Ressler, the principal owner of the NBA's Atlanta Hawks and Bennett Rosenthal, one of the owners of LAFC of uh, Major League Soccer. They are the co-founders of Aries. But Evan, I I couldn't believe it when I saw it. More than $1 billion in investments, B billion in sports properties in the past six months for Aries. I mean, that that's called diving into the deep end. 
Yeah, that's that includes F1, uh, La Liga's Atletico Madrid, the San Diego Padres are, are all in that bucket. Scott, has there ever been a, a has there ever been a better time to be a private equity firm that that wants to invest in sports? Uh, th- they do a lot of debt financing. The pandemic has created a lot of owners that need a lot of short term financing. And then, as we've said, leagues like the NBA are loosening their restrictions. Arctos Partners bought into the Warriors. Sixth Street bought into the the the, the San Antonio Spurs. L- restrictions that that existed for a long time on private equity investment in sports are disappearing, and you see companies like Aries rushing to take advantage. Yeah, and, and as of the debt financing that you just mentioned, the Ottawa Senators, Pro Fight League, Rugby Australia, Rawlings. These are global opportunities. Like the, this pandemic was not about one part of the world or the other. You're talking about global opportunities where they can get in uh, and in different parts of not only sport, the, the ecosystem and different parts of the world. And we'll see what comes of it. But uh, surely to answer your question, no, this, this is the time when you've got leagues changing their rules to welcome the capital. And we are going to see a bevy of limited partner transactions coming out of the pandemic. And for those who aren't familiar, that's sort of the investors and teams. They may own less than a 1%, 1%. Any, anybody who's not the majority holder, um, sometimes they face uh, capital calls and just uh, core businesses have been really hurt during the pandemic. So a lot of these LPs are seeking ways to either get out or teams are looking at different ways uh, of adding capital and the private equity firms are all right there rushing in. They're more than happy to get involved in such a high profile, what they think will be a high growth business. We wondered aloud a few weeks, I shouldn't say we, I wondered aloud on the show a few weeks ago, if there was going to be a, a blowback of any sort towards these private equity investments in kind of the wake of the Super League falling apart. It, the um, the Silver Lake investment in the All Blacks in New Zealand has been held up because of some concerns that athletes and fans in New Zealand have about private equity. Oftentimes, the, the, the time horizon for investment, how quickly they want to get out, the financial incentives are not always aligned between people who own a sports team and private equity investors who are in for five or 10 years. It doesn't seem like, Scott, that that has happened at all, correct? I, I have not heard beyond the All Blacks and, and Silver Lake any kind of blowback to these deals. In fact, it feels the opposite. It feels like they are coming faster and faster now. Yeah, I think we're good as long as they remain limited partner investments. You know, the NFL bars corporate ownership for a reason. They don't want sort of the quarter to quarter needs of, of the balance sheet to drive decision making on personnel and, uh, and on the field. And I don't see that changing anytime in the NFL anytime soon because of the financial might that the, <laughs> that those teams have based on the, the gigantic media contracts that they're unable to get. So, um, no, uh, the, the one we saw was sort of rugby, you know, the Aussie rugby, the, the All Blacks. But that also, and I don't utilize this, this, uh, this phrasing often because, I, you know, I don't view sports teams as public trusts. Owners like to say that. I'm just sort of the caretaker and like, that 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 just drives me crazy because they're businesses. They're just businesses. But you could sort of stretch it if you want to go the, sort of the sap stretch to um, the the All Blacks as a public trust. And you wonder like, who owns the All Blacks and does it belong to the people? And it's more than just a sports franchise. I get it. You know, they'll say the same thing, the Green Bay Packers. And even though there's not a fair ownership where you just get a certificate and hang it on your wall and there's really nothing to it. <laughs> uh, we've discussed this many times before. So... Yeah, um, 
you know, if they're viewed as just businesses from the fan perspective, which I know they're not, but uh, there'd perhaps be better acceptance towards whatever the capital is needed to run that business. So let's transition to another business, semi-business, not business, depending on who you're talking to. I love this story. You did this. I love this (laughs) story. A story story I I, I wrote this week. Yeah. Yeah. Colby College. I, I, first of all, if you, people don't know, why don't you just say where where is Colby College? Because folks might not know. Colby College is a small private liberal arts college in Maine. It's about seventy five miles north of Portland. So it's it's in Waterville, Maine, is the town. I think it's a sixteen thousand person town. It is not a big school, and it is not in a big place. How's the hockey team? That's all I want to know. <laughs> better now that they have a better facility, but there is men's and women's D three hockey at Colby. All right. So tell me why we're talking about Colby College. We're talking about them because they recently finished a $200 million, and that's not a typo, $200 million athletic center uh, that they built over the past few years, completed during the pandemic. Uh, A really interesting story that I think kind of highlights a few things. One, that the arms race that we often talk about at big schools like Alabama and Clemson has fully filtered its way down to, to D3 as yeah, well. The, edif- the edifice complex now exists down to Division 3. And, and by the way, we see it in high schools in Texas, so why not Division 3 college? Exactly. And I spoke with both the president and the athletic director at, Col- at Colby, both of whom made it clear that their aspirations are to be the most dominant Division 3 athletic program in the country, and they believe that this will help. Uh, right, can, I get, can I get, let, let me just ask you a question, cut in real fast. Okay, so that is the unified mission. They want to be the most dominant Division Three program in the country. Then I have to take that next step and say, okay, what are the benefits to being like, you're, you're not Texas, you're not Ohio State, you're not UCLA, Ohio State. What are the benefits to Colby College, 75 miles north of Portland, Maine, to being that? I think there's a, a few. The The easiest answer is that athletics often bring a, a diverse set of students to, 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 to your campus. If you think about the amount of people that want to go to, to college at Colby, if you take athletics out of the equation entirely, it's probably a very different uh, set of, of prospective students. So no question that the, the athletic department brings in a diverse set of people, people who might otherwise not want to come to Colby. We've talked about this on the show before. A lot of those people pay partial scholarship or partial tuition or full tuition, there's some financial benefit to having a big athletic department at that level as well. So one, it's going to help in the recruiting and front porch to the university that will help the university get name recognition across the country, even for non-athletes. When, when Colby College, if they are winning national championships in D3 women's lacrosse or winning it in D3 men's hockey, that is a marketing thing that the, that the university can use to attract that more students That really well. drives prospective uh, admissions that that they're really good division three women's lacrosse team this really works I think for sure especially when uh, Colby is competing they're in the NESCAC their conference which includes Bates and Bowdoin there's a lot of of schools with similar profiles small liberal arts colleges up in well, you, up wait, in the wait, wait. You, made a, you made a great point in the piece itself though that small is actually in the conference name <laughs> literally in the name yeah, the New England <laughs> lo- small I, conference, see, athletic I, conference this yeah. is why I <laughs> love the story I mean not only because it's about Colby College and what they're doing and they're spending 200 million but I'm like I learned things I was like I didn't know there was a small conference literally in the name and there it is something else I learned because one of my questions to the president was was there a time in the past 18 months where 
you realized, hey, I, I would have rather spent this $200 million on something else, particularly in the pandemic. And he said that the, that, that Colby is, is going to turn a surplus in fiscal 2021. They never sent students home, unlike a lot of schools. Some of their athletics were, were, were canceled. They had record applications and enrollment for this upcoming season. And despite spending $10 million on campus-wide testing, they're going to come out with a, with a 2 to $5 million surplus on the fiscal year. So essentially, he was saying, you know, I, th- I think this is a great investment also because there was not a time really in the past 18 months where he was really strapped for cash. They did not have the massive budget cons- constraints or revenue shortfalls that we've seen at a lot of other athletic departments and a lot of colleges, frankly, around the country. They are coming out of the pandemic with a $200 million athletic facility, but even outside of that, in better shape financially than I think most colleges around the country. All right, let me put you on the uh, on the spot here. What, what's the nickname of the uh, Colby athletic team there, Mr. The, the Mules. <laughs> I do know that. <laughs> That's good. You need, you need to know. You might not have known before, but n- now you do. All right, before we hit the buzzer of the show, maybe best transition ever, let's talk about buzzer. 20 million Series A raise. Uh, a few names you may know, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, uh, an existing investor, Sapphire Sport. Hello to Michael Spirito. You better be listening to the show and, and send me a text message that you heard your name on the show. Naomi Osaka, Pat Mahomes. But if you don't know Buzzer, I mean, it, it's sort of this, how do we get people involved? How do we keep them in the ecosystem of media? How are people touching sports and entertainment? Why don't you, Evan, explain quickly for those who do not know what Buzzer is? Yeah, Buzzer is a, a company that is trying to capitalize on microtransactions that are becoming increasingly popular across the internet and particularly with, with young consumers. Buzzer is a, a middleman that will alert you to a sporting event that is happening that has something wild happening. Maybe it's tied going into overtime. Maybe they're going into a shootout. And then will essentially sell you for a very small amount of money, let's say a dollar, $2, $3, access to stream or watch the next few minutes of that event. Uh, And this is something that sports teams and leagues have played around with. The NBA, I think, has done maybe the most in this regard in terms of selling the final fourth quarter or maybe even the final few minutes of games in these microtransactions. But Buzzer really believes that it can become the go-to marketplace for all of those things to happen. So that in the future, if you are a sports fan, and instead of paying $150 $150 a, a, a month for the cable package that has all these things. You can instead kind of pick and choose, watch the moments at the end of the NBA game, at the end of the NHL game, uh, when someone on your fantasy team or someone you've wagered on is about to do something, have a plate appearance, etc., to, to make those microtransactions. And, and that's the goal for Buzzer. And you're right, the cap table here, Scott, I was joking today that it looks like a Gillette ad, right? Where's Tiger Woods and Roger Federer? It's, it's, it's a who's who of some of the biggest names in sports. Uh, and that often helps you uh, when you're out there looking to raise money and maybe more importantly, out there when you're looking to raise awareness. So, for instance, if Kylian Mbappe is getting ready to walk to the penalty site, you could get a buzz that you might want to tune in because something interesting may happen. I didn't mean to. And if you're French, you'll want your money back. (laughs) And if you're French, you'll want your money back. All right. He is not French. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our social media editor is Cora Veltman, and she really likes it when I tell everybody that you can find the show at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will become the Sportico Podcast Network. 